This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... Vanessa Valiente. And our amazing guest is Danielle Orsino. And she looks like a fairy. So those of you who are not watching this on YouTube, you need to watch it on YouTube when it comes out because we're about to talk about fairies and she looks like a fairy and it's pretty fucking amazing. So let's start with what we're drinking as we always do. Today I decided to get, um, I didn't get it today, but anyway, I'm drinking today Blue Moon Honey Days because it's crafted apparently with real clover honey in a can like a fucking boss. Vanessa, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, one of the red wines of 19 Crimes, which I don't have the awesome bottle, but Erica had one like several podcasts back and I was like, oh, I need to be cool like Erica. Uh, like <laughs> Erica. So I got the red wine. Uh, I think it's just called red wine and it has a what, a criminal. Is it a criminal or a serial killer on the on the bottle, like a real one? No, it has a, well, I don't know if they're real crimes because Snoop Dogg is on one of the bottles, but it's, <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite ones is the Cali Red, which is the Snoop Dogg version. No, the whole point is if there's a, a app you can get on your phone that if you hold it in front of the wine bottle, will the person will tell you what their crime that they were convicted of is. Yeah. Every single one of them has a crime that they were convicted of and they're an inexpensive wine. And they're a good, consistent wine. Like, they always taste good. So it's my go-to. It's a red wine. Have no idea what crime he committed, but he tastes real good. Nice. A lot of of those victims or something. I don't know. Name of Vanessa's (laughs) sex tape. Danielle, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Barefoot's Riesling. I know it's probably kind of boring, but, you know, for me, it works. So I'm going with that. Hey, okay. yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was out of absinthe, so we just went with the Riesling. <laughs> I love absinthe. I love absinthe. I've actually had absinthe from Germany, where Ooh. they um, don't filter it the way they do the U.S. ones, so you can hallucinate from it. And did you see Green Fairies? Not Green Fairies. That's not what I saw. But it is definitely <laughs> different. I love going to New Orleans for that reason, because they have some of the best absinthe bars. I, oh. I intend to make an absinthe one day, a birth of the Fae absinthe. That is my goal. Oh is my to gosh. Come out with a liquor line based on the book. That, that is my goal. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Okay. So mm-hmm. we can go down an alcohol path and two points. Yes, on we can very easily. <laughs> okay. Um, Danielle, for those that may not know you, can you talk about uh, what you write and uh, about your book a little bit? Sure. I, um, I write fantasy. So we are doing, I, what I did was I did Birth of the Fae, Locked Out of Heaven. That's the first book in the series. It is a series, so I intend to keep going with this. But what I've done is I've taken the origin of the Fae, with, which most people know from like Celtic lore, and I've turned it on its head and I've made it more of a religious sense, but not Christian preachy religion. I've made it that they are angels who did not, who are locked out of heaven. Some of them got involved in the war between God and Lucifer. Some of them did not. And they find that they can't go home. So they're stuck here on earth. And now they have to reinvent themselves. So they become our gods and goddesses of the 
polytheistic uh, pantheon. So your Egyptian gods, your Roman gods, Greek gods, and they have to just kind of deal with humanity now and what happens, but they break up into your dark and light fat. And then once again, they have to deal with humans. So it's a whole new rebirth telling. Hmm. That is awesome. Amazing. 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 So how many books do you intend on this series? I say the word intend because as mm -hmm. authors, we can go way more or we can be oh, like, yes. there are four and there's only going to be four. No. Um, so far I have, I finished four books already that are in copy edit, developmental edit. In my head, there is 11. That's Ooh. my head. Uh, but will it go other places you know i have certain characters that i think could definitely have their own little spin-offs but in my head the series will go 11 and now, four are done now and do you feel like you would are you a pantser or a plotter because i feel like when you say you mm -hmm. have 11 planned like when you go to write the next one do you kind of like make a rough outline or you just kind of like go with it i i have a bit of a rough outline but i'll be honest with you I'm not a classically trained author. So um, we're flying by the seat of our pants on this one. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's like, I didn't sit down and go, oh, let me pull from my literary repertoire. No, I'm, I'm not. Like, you're not going to catch me sitting down reading like Emily Bronte and Jane Austen. And no, I'm a comic geek. So I like the Muppets. You know, I am not somebody who sat there in creative writing was like, I love doing this so much. I'm going to do this one day. Not at all. Oh, this was not a dream, nothing like this. This was because I wrote this because a patient when I was an IV nurse was going through these long treatments. And one day just looked at me and was like, look, I don't want to do this anymore. So you better entertain me or else I'm not sitting through this shit. And I was like, oh, um, okay, tell me something about yourself. And he was like, well, I was recruited by the CIA out of college, do something with that. And the story fell out of my mouth. And I just told him a little bit of the story every day that he sat down for these IV treatments. That's how this whole thing came about. But once again, I didn't sit down and go, I'm going to be a writer one day. No. So when I sat to do these books, I wrote all, I wrote the first three in one sitting, which once again, if a creative writing professor was sitting down, he'd probably be like, oh dear Lord, what did you do? This is totally wrong. I was like, chapter five. Oh, I'm bored with this. Let's go to the next book chapter one, you know, and that's how I wrote it. I wrote it all longhand, probably did everything wrong that you're supposed to do in writing. So when I say there's going to be 11, I have it plotted in my head. And then I sit down to write and it just goes totally off the rails. So who knows? <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I see. We'll wait and see. You know what? It sounds like you give yourself permission to just write it, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes when you are like trained you like me like I think way too much into it and at least you allow yourself to finish it which is Free. usually the hardest thing to do I know drink I'm gonna drink to that yeah um, no what but else I'm going to drink to editors <laughs> copy editors are the greatest people in the world and here's here's a little tidbit if you're dyslexic like me don't tell your copy editor you're dyslexic they tend to then like skip over things because they're like the first one I used was like, oh, she'll never notice that mistake. Yeah, don't tell them you're dyslexic, but find a good copy editor because they will be your best friend and listen. You have to listen because oh, look, I, I have a party here. You keep talking like this because Vanessa is an editor 
And she's a copy editor and runs into these situations when we're working on publications because people forget what the point of an editor is. And they're not always going to be your best friend from a um, like nice, nice standpoint. Sometimes they're going to be your worst enemy, but in a good way. Oh, you have to, but you have to listen to them because like grammar is not, you know, I, I love a comma. I just keep writing commas and just, you know, string things along. I need, I have a great, my copy editor is Christina Prey. She's phenomenal. And she will sit there and say, Danielle, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I think it's really kind of good not to tell people, like, sometimes I like to go in blindly because mm-hmm. I don't want to anticipate a thing. If I can anticipate it, then I may, because, you know, we're all human. We're all, you know, we're not perfect, you know, and mm-hmm. that goes for your editor as well. And you kind of don't want to skim over reading, you know, anticipating a thing. You want to just read yep. it fresh because sometimes the thing that you think is wrong is right and what you think is right is wrong so it's and that and i say that for my own writing as well Mm -hmm. the things that i think people are going to hate they love and the things that i love they're like you need to cut this (laughs) so it it 100 100 i there are there were characters that i was like people are gonna love this one and my editor came back and was like what like my developmental editor would come back and look at me and go danielle what are you doing with this piece right here? I'm like, oh, but it's this. And it's, you know, and he was like, no, no, you, you don't, why, why are we spending so much time there? And I really thought like dirt people are going to love this No, And I've been, I've been put through the ringer with this first book. Cause I did not, I didn't go in with the intention of religion and, and all this stuff. And I, I'm on two blasphemy lists. I'm a person of blasphemy to two um, ethics groups. Well done. Uh, well done. High five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I think in in sense, I've made it now. Uh, I know one group is petitioning the Vatican to have the book removed, and my only reply is that if the Pope has time to read my little book, yay! But you know, once again, I'm well, like, where is he going to have it removed from? I they want it just they want it taken out of print because it's blasphemous. Um, I've had people come up and tell me I'm a demon and all this other stuff, all because I've played with religion. And even like my editor had to stop and laugh because he's like, it's, it's really not, he's like, it's not that bad. And it it was always the chapter that I thought people were going to freak out about. That's not the one. And then I come back and I find out it's this other chapter that I'm like, really, that's the one you're upset about. I didn't give it a second thought. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting because you never think it's what you think it is as the author is never the problem that everyone else has the issue with. So I just shrug my shoulders at this point and go, okay, that's, that's the one that you're upset about. Cool. Moving on. You know, I was going to say, I don't know that there's much you can do when you run into that kind of situation, because um, I think, again, I think it is a testament. Like um, I had a, I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but one of the first reviews I got on Amazon, it's still there. If somebody wants to look it up, it's um, for a book one of my first books and now I can't remember it's an anthology because I did start drinking earlier but anyway (laughs) um one of the things is is um it's the review says Erica Lance is an author that wants to punch you in the fucking face of course fucking is edited to yeah and he loved the story loved the characters hated the ending because none of my stories end well it didn't have a happy ending. He was super pissed off. And I was like, and I've gotten that a lot that people want happy endings. They want it to be, mm-hmm. but I think it's, um, 
I mean, I don't have the Pope after me yet. I guess I could put that on my list of things to do. With bucket list. Writing, mm-hmm. Like to do list, check, bucket list. Yep. Um, but I think that it is definitely a true testament. And I like that you didn't back down out of it just because of um, getting these kind of comments because everybody's going to have an opinion on anything. If you go on any social media service, you yes. can see that people can have opinions and they're, they're, they're behind the screen opinions or whatever they're mm-hmm. called on every topic. And you just go, cool, you're not my audience. But you know, if the Pope buys a copy and reads it, maybe he'll leave you an Amazon review. You never know. Like uh, that's yeah. I just look at it now. I mean, I have to do, it's something I always get the question, like, how do you take bad reviews? What do you do? And I laugh because I'm like, okay, first of all, this whole, an author's got to get a thick skin thing. I'm like, we all say that, but in reality, do we get a thick skin? I take every bad review and read it, you know, and the way I deal with it is I take the worst review and I throw it out and I take the best review and I throw it out. And I go right down the middle. I'm like, look, it is what it is. Of course, you kind of read it and take it to heart for a second. And then you deal with it in your own way. I mean, it's your book. It's your work. But what are you going to do about it? There's there's nothing I can do. Does it hurt? Yeah, of course it stings. It's my first book, you know. Yeah. But I'm doing the best I can with it. And I always say when I wrote this book in particular, that's where I was in my writing at that time. Each book is getting a little better. I'm learning from it and I'm growing. Yeah. That's no, I actually all I can do. I actually had the same thing happen to me because I always tell people with as, as coming from an editor's perspective, like whenever I give feedback to someone, you know, I don't expect anyone to be excited to receive it, to agree with everything I put down. I always say, you know, just let it sink in walk away, then come back and look at it objectively. And Mm -hmm. I had one of my best friends just recently review my short story. And I told her, I was like, listen, I want you to be honest with me. I want you not to worry about my feelings. And she gave it a two-star review. And I'm not going to lie, as for as much as a person that Mm -hmm. preaches it to other people to have a thick skin, like it hurt a little bit. And like, and I'm not mad at her because she did exactly what I wanted her to do. And Mm -hmm. she even gave me good points, bad points, whatever her thoughts. And so I, my heart was pounding and I had, I was like, okay, this doesn't mean I'm a crappy writer. Uh I'm just, you know, I, I told her what I needed done and she did it. And so I came back and I looked at it and I realized the majority of it was Mm -hmm. personal preference and the other thing the only thing that they're out of the the list of things there was one thing I agreed with which is I was doing something that I was not normally accustomed to writing about which Mm -hmm. I expected not to be an expert but I forgave myself internally and I told myself it's okay you're just a newbie you can only get better from here and then the Mm -hmm. other bit that she had an issue with it was either personal preference or something that ties into future short stories that yes. haven't been published yet. And so it makes sense that it doesn't make complete mm-hmm. sense in the, in the context of this one story. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes what it, you, this is what you got to do. You just, you can't take offense. Like even your most favorite book, there's someone out there that freaking hates doesn't it. Doesn't like it. And yeah. it is what it is. Like I'm floored that people think the last there's certain people out there that I've met that think the last season of Game of Thrones is amazing. And oh, I, and <laughs> and I and I and I will beg to differ. But that's another that's another. Conversation. I agree. We'll here's, just leave it there. here's the thing on reviews. It, mm-hmm. I think that 
looking at reviews is only constructive if you um, do not cause it to stop you from writing. Agreed. That's what is nervous. It's not thick skin. It's not that it's not going to hurt. And mm -hmm. getting bad reviews or having anybody give you anything negative in your life generally is not good. And you have to take a breath and take Agreed. some time and digest it and go, where did this come from? It doesn't matter what it is in life, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is when I hear an author has stopped writing or slowed down writing or trying to change their voice because of reviews, that's what fucking pisses me off. Cause I go, no, no, no. If there are things that like they say that they jump between tenses, take a look and go, are you jumping between tenses? Look at your editor. Are they catching you jumping between tenses? Right. Are you um, misnaming characters? Is there technical things that you're doing with the story that need to be fixed? Like I'm a huge fan of, if you have horrible grammar going, unless it's a part of that person's, the character that's supposed to have horrible mm -hmm. grammar and some stories yes. are written with people with horrible grammar and stuff. But if this is you, you have a technique that you need to improve. That's different. I agree yes. with you 100%. If somebody to go, Oh my God, this is horrible. And you're the devil. I go, that's not a fucking review. That's that, that's, that's a preference. That's opinion on what they're reading. I, I have that. That's what I've noticed. And that's where I've had to sit back and look at reviews, which is why I always say I take the worst and the best and I throw them both out because then you're, you know, I always say, then you're a, a real housewife and you're just looking at the good stuff. So I throw them both out and I look at it, but I don't even, I don't even do, I've always been asked by other authors. Okay. I'll review your book. You review my book. Okay. And we're like, and I've done it a couple times. I stopped doing it because what I find is one author waits for the other author to give the review. And then, you know, and then you always get that one author who, because for me, I don't get on your writing technique. If you're another author, I'm like, hey, look, you want me to, you know, I'm, I always try to be happy about it because I'm like, look, you took the time to write a book. I'm not an editor. I am not going to get on your writing. But then you get that one author who's always like, I'll do it. And then they write you a nice review. And then right at the end, they get on your writing technique. And it's always something, you know, it's always something where you're like, okay, look, you know, this was, it's always like, okay, so on this page, it was, you know, um, they did this to the character. It's an info dump. And you're like, you know, did you really have to go there? Like, we're just doing like an author thing. And then you got to wait to see if I give you a four star or a three and a half star review. I don't do it anymore. Cause I'm like, look, we should just all be supporting each other. That's my feeling. It's like, unless I know you like that. And you're like, Hey, look, here's this. Can you review it? I don't get into it anymore. Cause I just, I want to keep it there. What I personally get annoyed with is I've seen reviews even of mine where it's like, there's no romance. She's a, and it's always because I'm a female author. They feel I should have romance because it's Faye or I'm an angry woman because she, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of fight scenes. And my reply is always, I'm a world champion martial artist. Did you think I wasn't going to have a fight scene? Do you think I wasn't going to have blood and gore? This is my background as martial arts. Of course I'm writing some good fight scenes. This is what I do, but you're upset. Because if, if I had changed and it was just DM or Sino and you didn't know if I was a girl or a guy, you wouldn't be complaining about my fight scenes it's or that I'm angry. It's funny that you bring this up because, and especially if you write adult fantasy, and there's so many adult, like if you look at the best-selling females in adult fantasy, mm -hmm. their names on the book are gender neutral. Like yep. Robin Hobbs, mm -hmm. Schwab, 
SK Jemis, is it SK Jemison? She's another one. They're all of them have. Oh, I was asked to change my name. Yeah. yeah. And I've been, I've heard of horror stories like on Twitter of female um, authors, these exact writers saying, yeah, mm -hmm. I've had male characters come up to me and say, or male, a male um, readers mm -hmm. come up to me and say, oh, wow, I love this book. And if I knew it was a female, I would never have picked it up. And I'm so glad that I read it, you know? Nope. And so that's why it's, it blows my mind when I hear when people have this preconceived idea of what a female writer should be writing so a female writer should be writing about whatever the hell they want so if you're a martial artist and you want to include that in your book then you should be able to do that that's i that's i totally agree and that's why i did not i kept i was asked to can you shorten your name should we should it should just say dm or c or it should say danny and i'm like no i'm keeping it as danielle that's what i'm doing and i said book one does not have romance but i said from day one i it took me, book four is my first sex scene. And when I mean that took me 45 days to write, it took me 45 days of staring going, okay, here I go. I'm going to write a sex scene. This is it. Okay, here we go. It, that, that's, it took me. And I am, I, I've heard you guys talk about Laurel K. Hamilton. I agree with you. But the girl can write a sex scene. I give her credit. Oh I no! I, here, here's the thing. I'm so torn because I'm such a huge fan, and she's an amazing author and stuff. It's just I, I want, I want it to turn slightly, and I really wish yes. her editor was better. And that's yes, not I her agree. fault. It's that's her editor. Oh, I agree because the first couple Anita Blake novels I loved because the mystery was there. I loved Anita. I'm like, go, bitch, go. And then we went into an area where I'm like, what happened here? What, what, it's all poly polyamory relationships. It's all the dynamics of that and this. And I'm like, oh, I'm on book 29. It's really hard to walk, walk away. But every time I debate buying the book, I'm like, should I? I listen to it on Audible. And there are times where I'm just skipping chapters because I'm like, there are three chapters of just one sex scene. I yeah. don't need to know. But the only thing I will give her credit for is that that woman does not use one anatomical word for a penis at all in a sex scene and i find that just amazing and like i mean when i was writing my sex scene i was like how does she get away with this because it's so damn hard and i, I Gina like, show walter is another one that i i read i know there is a bunch so nobody mm -hmm. listening go yeah oh I know, don't get mad but you know yeah gina show walter is another one in, with the lords of the underworld series that does mm -hmm. a very similar thing with her sex scenes that is it's not repetitive it is it is definitely an art form and it's interesting oh, because you are comfortable writing fight scenes yep. where a lot of people are like even um author friends that are close to me um will get like dolls or drawings or look at you know movies mm -hmm. or something because if you don't know the um uh, workings. I'm not saying this correctly, but like the 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 correct. You have to know the mechanics of the body. Yeah, the mechanics. Yes. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for, and I couldn't find it in my <laughs> have too many beers brain. Um, <laughs> if you don't know the mechanics and how it works, you can okay. go. They swing and punch somebody, and if that's all you have to say, great. But if the type of punch and where it lands affects some part yes. of the scene, you and, and that's where research comes in. But I did want to touch on something you said earlier, which I think is really interesting is I do agree. We need to support ourselves as authors, period. If somebody's mm -hmm. willing to take the time as an artist to write a book and put the effort into it, we should support them. We, 
should also make sure we're guiding them to have a um, their voice delivered out correctly and whether or not that's by asking them to or telling them they may need to take some more creative writing type courses mm -hmm. or do some more research on how to do certain things if they seem to have a voice. But I think one of the things that um, can be very dangerous, and this is true of close friends as well. So mm -hmm. I know, for instance, especially when I first started publishing books, I would mm -hmm. publish and I'd put it on my Facebook, all my friends, hey, I published this. And everybody would be like, yeah, cool. And like, like, mm -hmm. like, and I wouldn't see the sales jump at all. And I'd be like, right. Okay, but all my friends said it was cool. Like I got 100 reactions or 200 reactions of how mm -hmm. cool this is. And they didn't. And people go, oh, you're an author, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, and give my business yep. card, blah. And they didn't necessarily go buy a book. And it took me a little while to go, this is not my audience. Like I shouldn't mm -hmm. be like, I'm a firm believer that if you're an author, you better fucking walk around with business cards or bookmarks. Mm -hmm. Yes. 100%. I don't care where you're going. I don't care if you're going up to 7-Eleven to buy a pack of cigarettes. Take your fucking bookmarks. You never know when you're going to run yes. into somebody to hand it to. But I don't rely on my friends. And I actually found to not, I have a couple of friends that are huge fans of my work mm -hmm. because they've gone and they've gotten it themselves and been like, I'm a huge fan. When is this coming out? When is that coming out? I have mm -hmm. a particular friend, you know who you are, that yells at me all the time about going faster on getting my workout. But I don't ask friends to do that anymore. And I, my one of my first books I published, I asked a couple friends to write blurbs for the back of the book, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized, and they were fantastic, and that's Tamara Lush and um, Austin Scott Collins both wrote blurbs, and I love them. But I went, after that, I went, I'm not actually doing that because I feel like when you do that to somebody, you're putting them on the spot and assuming they are going to like your book. Right. And that's unfair. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize it's unfair because we're not in a frame of mind to then accept criticism from that human mm -hmm. about the book. It's kind of yeah. like your beta readers, finding beta readers that actually understand how to oh. be beta readers and yeah. what to feed back mm -hmm. to you. If you yep. don't do that correctly, like, and I'm just, I'm going to say, state this out for anybody who's listening, because we have a lot of listeners and stuff who aren't writers and are not authors who mm -hmm. are just find us entertaining mm -hmm. as fuck, which they should because we are, but are. Um, <laughs> no ego. I'm very humble. Um, <laughs> Completely. Yeah. I do not suffer from that at all. Yes, no. I do every day. Um, but those listening, if you are reading a book and it is not your kind of book, do not write a review. If it is not your oh. book, do not write a review. You are One. doing a disservice to an author by doing that. Just put it down. If 100%. you do, it 100%. is your kind of thing, post a constructive review with what you did like about it. And if there's things you didn't like, talk about what you didn't like about it. Because what that does is it allows the author to actually do something with the review. If you get a two-star review that says, wasn't my thing, I kind of go, that doesn't help me. reviewing it. Like it, I, if it's not your thing, then don't review it because you're not going to give a fair review to anybody who it is their thing. I, I think what it is, is when we're dealing with reviews in general, um, what I've had is right now, especially in the fantasy world and, it, and I'm talking just in the fake community right now, young adult novels have taken over the fake community. I am not Sarah J. Moss. I am not Cassandra Clare. Let me just put that out there right now. My fae are a different kind of fae 
completely. And I remember reading one review on Barnes and Nobles that actually stated that right in the review. It said, Orsino is not SJM or Claire. And that was the first line. She said, but I'm so happy she's not. This is not a young adult novel. And right there, that let all the reviewers know if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to find it here. But this is what I liked about her. And I think for in right now in the Fay community, everybody's looking for a certain type. You know, they want Shadow and Bone or, you know, they want the Kingdom of Blood and Ash or whatever it is. It's like it's kind of narrowed down this scope of this is what the Fae should be. They're only this. There's only this kind of Fae. And so when you review it, and you write not my cup of tea or not my Fae. It's like, OK, but there's other kinds out there. So if it wasn't your thing, donate the book. Give it to somebody else by just writing that you're just putting it out there that like it doesn't help me you know what i mean it's like okay maybe you're into young adult novels or young adult fantasy okay so then this book was not for you somebody pointed it in your way and that's not your thing so okay but somebody else might like it so you're just you're not giving anybody one to go on you're I mean, it's like you shouldn't go in the intent of, of, of like helping the author because at the end of the day, the author may not ever read it. But if you're going to have a critique for another reader to yes. pick it up, it, it does. It, it, there's no point in writing a view if you're not going to be actually give examples like don't mm -hmm. say it's your couple your cup of tea and then you just leave it as, as that. Or the best one is when they're like, mm -hmm. oh, it was so great. One star or two stars. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why? I, I think also it's like, understand what a plot is. I right. like my, my favorite review is, okay, so they give like the whole plot of the story. Yeah. I loved it. It was so original. But then at the end they go, plot was weak. Okay, oh, wait a minute. What? Yeah. And I, I'm like, yeah. you just described the whole story. But then you, at the end they went, but plot was weak. Do you understand what a plot is? Like before you want to sound really hyper intelligent. So I think sometimes people try to make more out of a review than it really is. The thing with a review to me is like, you just want to know, should I buy this book or not? Because at the end of the day, it's your hard earned money. And you're trying to convince somebody else. I spent whatever it is, $12.95 on a paperback or, you know, on a hardback, whatever it is. You're trying to tell somebody, I like this book. I liked it because I normally read epic fantasy. So if you want to read epic fantasy, I'm telling you, it might be worth the Kindle. It might be worth whatever it is. I enjoyed it. Here's why it's got a great male protagonist. It's got a good female protagonist. I like action sequences. That's where I feel like you're doing it. At the end of the day, the author has got an editor, whoever behind them. You're really not helping. You pointing out that on page 89, there's a, there's a spelling, a misspelling. That's not helping you. The author very rarely picks up their own book and then look, flips through it. If there's a grammar misspelling or we can't catch it. I know to print a book during COVID with Ingram. Sorry, Ingram, I'm going to call your butt out on this. Was the biggest pain in the neck that I've, I had misspellings. And I'm going through my book going, wait a minute. I gave you the manuscript. These misspellings weren't on there. They were like, do you know what it's like to print right now with every book trying to get out during COVID? They were like, yeah, there were some problems. Sorry. The next batch, there won't be an issue. I got fans going, you know, there's misspellings in your book. You know, you had a comma here and it should have been a period. I'm like, okay. I was like, I can't, I can't fix it. I don't, I, what, what do you want me to do about it? And they're all, and I'm getting written up. I mean, they're eating me up about it. And I'm going, and I'm calling. And finally, one editor turned around and said, okay. He said, so this is how many words you have in your book. You got 
75,399, whatever it was. He goes, by the mistakes that they made on this one, he said it's 0.0001%. I went, oh, okay. no, there's going to be mistakes in every single book ever published. I don't care how many times people go through it. I've seen mistakes in Laurel K. Hamilton stuff, besides the yep. issues that I've talked about. But I've seen mistakes in, like, grammar mistakes in every book that I've read, yeah. whether it's a period. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I just, you know, if you're a good reader, you go, Okay, now if it's consistent and every other page has it, put it down, send a comment. But if it happens every now and then, guess what? It doesn't matter how many things proofread. And as authors, just for the record, everybody listening out there, we have done this story so many times. And it doesn't matter if we print it out and put it in a different or whatever. It is already solidly in our minds. So we're not seeing it the same way you see it. So if you have problems, that's why Stephen King put a part on his website to go, if there's a problem in my book, email me about it. And I yeah. think that's a very good thing for authors to do. If there's a problem yeah. in my book, email me about it, because then I can go take that exact problem and fix it. Because right. that happened to him. I think it was the cell, right? Vanessa, wasn't it the cell that he had? Yeah, there was one had a bad author, uh, editor. Yeah, the editor was too afraid to go deep on their edits because it was Stephen King. So mm -hmm. it was very intimidating for that person. And so that person went very lighthanded. And uh, that's something that I always think about in the back of my head on the editor. As an editor is like, I always worried about offending someone. But then at the same token, I'm worried that if I'm too lighthanded, then I'm doing a disservice to exactly because 100%. again what erica was saying like you've read your manuscript so many times you cannot see the problems nope. or you can't tell when something's not clear across the page and so the editor's trying to you know take that and make have it make sense mm -hmm. for someone who has no idea you know going into it and it's it's a very like delicate you know process <laughs> of trying to figure out oh, am, 100%. I being, am I being an asshole or am I I'd rather you be an asshole I'm being <laughs> I would rather you be an asshole and <laughs> it's funny my editors have all said that I'm actually too I accept everything every edit I'm like check check whatever you say I sit there and I accept it all and finally one of my editors came back to me he goes Danielle he's like you don't have to accept everything I say I'm like no you're the editor I'm probably wrong he's like you're the first author that I've actually had to pull the reins back on and say, don't accept it all. Because in my eyes, because I'm not classically trained and I'm so nervous about making a mistake, I tend to accept everything the editor says. Right. Where I just, I'm like, you must be right. I must be wrong. Yep, let's go. Yeah. And even as an editor, we make mistakes too, but that's mm -hmm. because something wasn't made clear. So right. it's not about accepting what the editor suggested. It's acknowledging that what the editor did was wrong, but they were wrong because I did something wrong and I need to mm -hmm. come back and be like, okay, you know, the suggestion wasn't wrong, but why was this flagged as a problem? Yeah. Then that yeah. means I need to go back and be like, oh, wait a minute. You know, that's why the editor made a bad suggestion. Not because the editor doesn't know what they're doing. It's just right. What, how I presented it wasn't correct. So I need to do it in a way that is true to my story, mm -hmm. solves the problem, but does not necessarily is the solution that the editor suggested. Correct. You know? And it's, yep. it, it's that thing where you have to, you should could not be afraid to talk to your editor and oh, know that your yes. editor is your friend and to, you know, be a team because at the end yes. of the day, 
you both want an awesome story at the end. And that's yep. what it's you all gotta, about, you, know? you gotta have that dynamic. And I'm, I'm grateful to my editors that they will get on the phone with me immediately and say, you know, this is where I'm seeing, or I'm seeing this character go down this road. Let's talk about where they're going to end up. And we've had those discussions uh, in the story or they'll say, you know, I, I finished book two is done. It's, you know, but as we were going through it, they turned around and said, let me see, because I had book three finished. He said, let me read book three because I want to make sure the breadcrumbs you've laid out in two end in three. And we did it because there were things they wanted to change. And I was like, yeah, but I'm doing this in three. So he's like, give me book three. And he read it and he's like, now I get where the breadcrumbs go. So I think having that relationship with your editor is so key because then when you get those reviews, you know, sometimes, like I said, you got to let those reviews go because I'm like, yeah, I'm still laying that foundation. So you can yell at me about the world building in one, but trust me, it'll make sense in book two. And, you know, it all kind of works together. I think it's all about um, even when you're doing collaboration, like if you co-author with someone else, too. Like, you got to leave your ego at the door. Like, oh, yeah. I never want to think that I've peaked and I know everything. Because the moment oh, you God. think you know everything is when you overlook all the mistakes. Like, mm -hmm. I always want to be a constant student, whether it's editing someone else or being a writer. Because the moment you, you think you know everything is when you're going to start making all the mistakes. And so I rather, you know, I leave my ego at the door when I'm editing for someone. And then when mm -hmm. I am giving my work, to someone else to critique, I leave my ego at the door because yeah. I need to look at this objectively because I'm human. My editor's human, vice versa. And all I care about is, and also at the end of the day, you only know what you know. You only mm -hmm. know what you've experienced in life. So when you invite other people in to critique your work, you are also taking on their experience and you need to value oh, yeah. that. You know, yep. you want as much tools at your disposal, you know. Oh, I need them all. Yeah, like, I, I, like you know, like Valerie Willis is like, she knows so much about animals uh, because she did 4-H. <laughs> and uh, I always laugh because the one time I had a character uh, buying a horse and she <laughs> pointed out everything I did wrong. And in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't do anything. And it's like, really, do I really need to do research on buying a horse? Well, I was damn wrong because I had a character tie reins around his hand. And she's like, you can't do that because if the horse gets spooked it runs off. You're getting dragged right behind the horse. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that. Well, of course I didn't know that because I've never really been on a farm or been around horses, but she has. So you, by having her critique it, I, I got to uh, have her expertise on something and it made my, my chapter richer when I went back and edited it. So that's what happens. It's, it's all about, yeah, you know, I did that. I did that with my dragons. Uh, my dragons and everybody has, you know, has commented because in book one, the dragons are there, but they're not, they're not main characters. They're more supporting. But I spent about nine months researching dragons because I didn't want, you know, Neil Degrassi, Tyson, whatever, coming back and going, oh, dragons can't fly. I didn't want, you know, if I was on Mythbusters, I wanted my dragons to be plausible. That's the bottom line. So I went to my vet and I said, if I wanted to make a dragon breathe fire, here's my idea. And he looked at me and he was like, Danielle dragons don't exist and they don't breathe fire. So what are you talking about? And I said, I want to build them from their digestive systems out. So I said, I have a fire breather, an ice breather, an acid breather. Here's my idea. And I started with bacteria and their guts. 
and I went outwards. And he looked at me and by the end of it, he went, you know, you're onto something. He's like, this is okay. Let's, let's talk. And so I started with that. Once I had their oral defenses done, I then went to Westchester community college and I spoke with their, um, the engineering department and the physics department. And I said, okay, now, um, I've got to make them fly, but I do not want them the size of 747s. I did not want a game of Thrones comparison. I knew that off the bat. I was not going to have that mess on my hands. So I said, I just need them to carry one or two Faye. I gave them the weights and I said, I want them based off the albatross theory of thermal dynamics. I want them thermal gliding. We explained that. And I said, I need these dragons to fly. I don't want them launching off the ground like Superman. I want them diving off of things. So we sat and they said, we're going to make this our midterm exam. These kids will then present their dragons to you based off of your measurements, what you want, and we're going to see. And like I said, it took us nine months, but my dragons were plausible and I'm using this guys, please don't crucify me. I got enough of that going on. Um, but you know, this is what we came up with. So my dragons, the designs, and you know, you can see them um, on my Instagram page and whatever, but my dragons, Dragor, Yanka, uh, you know, Raycor, they all are what we came up with as my fire acid and ice breathers and even Los, my little chameleon dragon based off my Yorkie, their dimensions are all, you know, what we researched and how they have their oral defenses were just months and months of research. Cause I was like, I wanted it to be plausible and I wanted the world to feel lived in, but it took me a long time of dealing, like I said, with a vet, an engineer professor, you know, a physics professor, because it, it makes it all feel more lived in and, you know, in this, as the series goes on, the dragons become major players, but you know, everybody kind of jokes that in the world of fiction, you don't do research, especially fantasy. It's like what research can you do? It's a made up world. You do a lot of research in fantasy. I mean, from building a map to dragons or whatever, to the spells, whatever it is, there's a lot of research to do. And the more people you talk to, the more your world becomes real. And I think it just goes to show that you're always learning as an author, whether it's your technique and God knows I can use help um, to the world itself, but it's a constant learning cycle. I agree a thousand percent. We have to take a quick break. We're actually over time. Oh, you're going to kill me. No, it's not your Sorry. fault. It was a, an amazing topic, but you will still kill me. We're going to take a break. And we'll be right back. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, we're back. I, I love that you were talking about before the break about research because you talked about not doing research on dragons and stuff. And I think it's interesting because one of the things that I think an author can fail on is in a way you don't have to do a lot of research, but I think you have to be very well read to see what people do in other stories. Like, so mm -hmm. you're, and you can choose to mimic the other story. You can choose to make it on your own, but 
I think it's always fascinating when somebody takes the time to figure those things out. We were talking a little bit about fight scenes. And I do want to ask you this about your, um, so mixed martial arts. Wait, what did you? Uh, no, I started in Taekwondo and then I went into Kung Fu. I've done some mixed martial arts as well. And then I was on the WKA US team. So I represented Team USA in the, in the 2008 uh, World Championships. And I took home the silver medal for uh, soft style forms on the women's team. Wow. Yeah, I'm in the World Martial Art Hall of Fame. Oh, my goodness. Yep, I was inducted in 1999 as as Martial Artist of the Year, Female Martial Artist of the Year. So I've competed all up and down the East Coast. I've done over 500 tournaments. Forms was my jam, but I fought as well. Okay, I'm going to need your contact information (laughs) if there's ever a zombie apocalypse. Okay. I've got the zombie apocalypse all figured (laughs) out as well. I got that done. (laughs) That's my my next book. But we're all worked out on that one too. Do you um, still compete? No, um, I retired in 2008 uh, when I was down at Disney and uh, I was on Team USA. That was kind of like my pinnacle, you know, was getting on a team and switching from a hard style Taekwondo to a soft style. I competed in Wushu actually in Eagle Claw. And that was once I won the silver medal, I was kind of like, all right, I've done it. So we're good. But I still box. This is the metal. Is that it in the background? Yes. Is it to your left? Yeah. Oh, no, that's, no, no, no. Well, you're right, but my left. Oh my yes. god. Yeah, that's my silver medal. That's so. so cool. Yeah, I was pretty. I walked out with Mickey Mouse, and I was jumping up and down like a kid. Uh, my grandfather actually knew Walt Disney. They were friends before he opened up. You know the Disney Studios. They drew together. So to get to go to Walt Disney World in Orlando and compete there was kind of a big deal. So that's why I did it. Um, so I was, you know, I was excited. I, uh, I was Vincent Lynn's protege for a long time and was with him. And I got to do the WWE Super Bowl commercial, but it was WWF. I worked with The Rock and Mankind and all those guys. I worked with China before she passed. So it was pretty cool. Martial arts was, that's what I started in. So it was, it's great when I can do fight scenes. That's, you know. No, that's no big deal. Well, that and just that you can do martial arts, you know, that will definitely help during a zombie apocalypse. Yes. Um, so you talked about, so were you a nurse of some kind or are you a nurse? Yes. Or were you? So you went into nursing? I was, yes, I was a nurse. Um, I was actually going to go into PA school. I was accepted into PA school. I was on my way in. And um, then, you know, once again, the universe intervened as I was heading in and uh, I found out I was anaphylactically allergic to the drugs that I was working with to treat Lyme disease. And um, I went into anaphylactic shock. Oh, wow. And so uh, as I was accepted into PA school, when they went through my physical, they were like, oh, you're like anaphylactically allergic to this entire drug class. And I was like, yeah, but you, you guys don't do bedside mixing, so it's okay. And they were like, yeah, but we use it in these departments. And they were like, we can't guarantee your safety. They said, you can't even inhale this. And I was like, yeah, okay, so what's the big deal? And they were like, yeah, you can't go to school. And at that time, the book was being circulated. And they said, the other thing is, if the book comes out while you're in school, you're considered working. They said, uh, that goes against your contract. Oh, wow. They said, so we, you would have to leave school. They said, and then you still owe all the money on the loans and uh, your classes aren't transferable. Oh my goodness. 
And I was like, yeah, but if the book comes out, like they said, yeah, it doesn't matter. The book comes out while you're in school, you broke your, your non, you know, your employment contract. They said, so, and so I spoke to the head of the program and he's like, look, would I enforce it? He's like, no, but he said, could one of the professors who's always wanted to be an author decide to enforce it and come to me? He's like, yeah, that could happen. And I was like, okay. He's like, it's a $30,000 fine and you're kicked out. He's like, do you want to be an author? Do you want to be a PA? And he's like, do you want to know what I think you should do? And I was like, yeah, he goes, go be an author, honey. Oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, um, he's like, you don't want this. And he's like, you owe $180,000. He's like, do you want to take that chance? And I was like, see ya. Yay, student loans in the USA. Go yeah, that's what he said. He was literally like, he's like, you can't write it off anymore. And, you know, so I took it and was like, all right, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to bet on red, rolled the dice and walked out. Wow. No, that's, that's amazing. And I think it's fascinating that you didn't, the path you chose to get here. And I, um, actually, we had a conversation yesterday with a, um, an, a, a blossoming author, I shall say, and he's in his forties and he was talking about how, you know, he didn't know he should start and blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Never say that to me again, because I personally believe you can decide what you want to be when you grow up so many times in your lifetime that you get to change and change again and do this other thing. And I think it is so important that people do that and don't get stuck in something. You know, if you find a career and a passion and you love it and you keep loving it and you're doing it and you, it's just your jam. Like I know some teachers that that's the case. And I know mm -hmm. some teachers who have lost their passion for doing teaching because of all this crap that goes along with doing teaching. But yep. I think if you find your thing and you do it, but if you lose that passion, go on to something else or you hit where you feel is the top of it, do something else and not get stuck doing the same thing just because you have to or you feel like you have to do I it. think there's just way more, there's more people out there that hate their lives because they're, you spend most of your your time really not with your family and your friends, but at your job. And I think majority of people hate their jobs, but then a lot of people are afraid to change or feel that, you know, you were supposed to make that decision right the first time. And it's like, what do you, you know, know it's at 17, 18 yeah. to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Exactly. You're totally I don't want to yeah. be judged by who I was at 17. Oh right. my God. I so don't want to be judged by who I was at 17. Exactly. No, you Especially evolve. Yeah, especially with creative jobs, like, you know, it's okay to do a job that you don't like while you're trying to pursue the, pursue oh, yeah. the creative job, but no age is the wrong age to start something. It's only too late when you're, I mean, not to be morbid, but like when you're dead, when you're dead is when it's already been too late. So no, if you decide, yeah, cause it, you, you can't do anything, you know, at that point, but if you're 80 years old and you decide you want to write that book or you want to go, go skydive, I mean, obviously if you're 80 and get a skydive, you got to check your health, but I'm saying within reason, yeah. Do do what you want to do. So I think kudos to you. That is. I, I just wanted to look since I was a little girl, I wanted to be Wonder Woman. That's all I've ever wanted to be. Okay. <laughs> you go back and look at my little essays and you, my dad can actually tell you most of them said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, Wonder Woman on every single one of them. Wonder Woman was a nurse. 
my, I made my nurse's uniform based on a Wonder Woman comic from the 40s where she was a nurse. That's what I wore. I wore everything. And I was like, yeah, all right. When I was inducted into the Hall of Fame, it was Danielle, Wonder Woman, Orsino. I have done just about everything Wonder Woman has done. I have done. If more people acted like they're comic book heroes, the world would probably not be a bad place, all things considered. As long as it, it's not the villain, right? Yeah, yeah you know what? And even some of the villains, heck, I wouldn't mind Deadpool walking around. You know what I'm saying? But it's very debatable what category that man falls into. Yeah. So. Well, look, Ryan Reynolds, I ain't upset. But, you know. I don't think I, I, any of us are upset about Ryan Reynolds. He's no. all burned up. Just saying. Even yeah. the Green Lantern movie. Sorry about that, Ryan. I got to call that one out. But, you know, all things, I think when you go back to your first, like, as a kid, you take out the money, what you want to do, you know, for me, it was Wonder Woman. That's all I ever wanted. And there's something pure about it. And to, to me, I'm still trying to live for what brings me joy. Did I think I was going to grow up one day and be a writer? It's funny because you said um, the comment you made before about not writing because of a bad review. Yes. I was, in, when I was in seventh grade, uh, one of our assignments was to rewrite the ending to a classic. So okay. I chose, now nobody get mad at me, please out there, don't get mad at me for this. I rewrote the ending to the diary of Anne Frank. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow, the implications of that bad boy. Look at how fortuitous that was. And I didn't know. I just thought <laughs> at the time, I just thought it was a sad book in my eyes. So I rewrote that a Nazi, a young Nazi soldier fell in love with her and snuck her out to New York. And the two of them went off and fell in love. And she was a waitress in a diner. And her father found her while she was pouring him coffee. Now I'm talking seventh grade. What the That's hell did I I didn't know. Yeah. So it turned out my teacher hated it. Hated that I rewrote the ending to this book. Called my mother in, sat her down, yelled at my mother. I can't believe she did this. She took it. And my mother goes, we've set a classic. This is what she picked. My kids set, you know, seventh grade. Like she doesn't know any better. Well, long story short, I got reamed out for this. Wow. I did not write again. I married that woman's nephew. Oh what? my goodness. Yes. So fast forward <laughs> years later. Oh my God. My seventh grade English teacher comes walking into Christmas Eve dinner. And I look at her and I go, oh my God, Mrs. Dallin. And my, and my husband looks at me and goes, yeah. I go, that's my seventh grade English teacher. My mother walks in and the two of them look at each other at dinner and go, Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, wow. oh they remembered it automatically. Is it the teacher being offended because she actually knew the family? No, because she's Jewish and my husband's Jewish and they took offense to it. Oh, my God. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. They have this whole thing. So now I go and write a book. So my husband, who takes piano lessons from her nephew... Is sitting there and, my, and so my husband goes did you tell your mother that danielle wrote a book he goes oh no we're not even opening that can of worms he goes we ain't even going there he goes not even going there he goes not even going there he's like do you think i'm really gonna call her and say 
remember who wrote, we wrote Diary of Anne Frank? She went and wrote a book. He goes, we're not even going there. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and to this day, that still haunts me. So when you talk about somebody, you know, author not writing anymore, or slowing down over a bad review, it stuck with me because here I was seventh grade, like taking what now I, I realize the implication of what I did, but you know, but it, I was it, in seventh it's, grade. it's not the implication. Cause the fact of the matter is like, I was talking about this earlier today, instructions unclear. The fact of the matter is um, like when people write about topics that are not pleasant topics and they write them from their point of view. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, we are so sensitive as a country and yes, there are messages that need to be learned. But if you take um, somebody in seventh grade and don't go, here are the list of books that I'd like you to choose from. Right. You could put a hundred books on there. And in one of these books, I want you to relight. if you just give an obscure thing like the classics and hope they're all going to choose Moby Dick, that's to me 10,000% on the teacher because Hello, instructions unclear. What are you supposed to actually have done? And as a seventh grader, you know, I was reading, I was reading Sweet Valley High. Like that was my, you know, that was the depth of my like reading well, yeah. at that point. The Secret of Nim, Sweet Valley High. That was about what you were going to get out of my little seventh grade brain. But that book actually did make an, in, an indelible mark on me. And I just thought it was such a sad ending if you're asking me to rewrite, I wanted to do something more pleasant. Right. You know, because as a seventh grader, you want a happy ending for everybody. You want everything to be happy. Well, so if you're giving me that option, that's what I did. I See, and this is what I have an issue with when, especially kids, is when people, like adults try to like stamp out. Like I remember one of my favorite authors, Pierce Brown, he writes the science fiction adult fantasy series, like Red Rising. And I remember mm -hmm. like, I don't know if it was like an interview or something. And he wrote an uh, English class in high school about, I think, elves or something like that. Because he likes Lord of the Rings and all that. And the English teacher, you know, went and discouraged him and said that this wasn't real fiction. And I'm like, that blows my mind away because person is writing and reading. You know, I get that it's not your, your genre, but like discouraging kids like I feel like your situation now granted when you're writing about something that has a lot of emotional ties to yep. like holocaust I mean I feel like that should have been a learning moment for you to where the teacher especially if the teacher is Jewish they should have I don't I feel like this should have been an opportunity they to could have been with you yes even as an adult like I always fear of writing about something outside like I'm a minority but like if I wrote something that about another minority group that I'm not a pro part of you know it I never go in with the intention of offending but sometimes when you're not a part of something you may accidentally do so and yes that person's anger is valid but I don't think enough people are sitting down and like having that conversation for someone. Don't, to have I, don't agree that the, I don't agree that the anger is valid. I think if you're talking about fiction, it's fiction and you could not be happy with it, but it doesn't mean you get to be angry about it. Like one of the lead characters in um, uh, the, a series I'm writing right now has a Latin background and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pushing on my friends that have Latin. I'm not Latin. I mm -hmm. am Irish. I am black Irish, as a matter of fact, which if you look that up, you'll see what that means. And we, that did not go well for us in the gangs of New York. But um, 
I'm writing that character because I'm writing a character that's based in Florida and it happens mm -hmm. to be one of the things, but I, I am doing my best. I am a thousand percent sure I'm not going to get it a hundred percent right, but it is a fiction story. Right. I think the only time you get to kind of be mad is if somebody is writing a nonfiction story and altering mm -hmm. the facts and trying to put it in a light where they're being um, incorrect with the important parts of the story right. like if you tried to republish what you did in seventh grade and say this is this actually is what happened this is right. what happened then that's shitty but the fact is is um you know it's interesting you read almost any sweet romance story almost anyone and i love sweet romance stories so nobody mm -hmm. get offended but a lot of times it's damsel in distress like that's how oh. it's written Right. So you could go, this is holding women down and it's not feminist. And mm -hmm. it's a sweet fucking romance story. Shut up. Get over yourself. If you don't want to read it, go read another story. Go read. If you think women should have um, be always portrayed as having all the power, go read one of those reverse harem stories where the woman has 20 guys. Read Laurel K. Hamilton. Right. To me, feminism is not the fact that someone wants to be a housewife and cook all day and clean and you know, do things for their husband. It's only if they choose to do that of their own volition, right? That's the mm -hmm. whole point of feminism is that you can choose whatever version you want to be. If you mm -hmm. want whatever form of the spectrum, it's like that guy, I remember there was a, someone, a guy critiqued The Witcher on Netflix and was pissed off. Yes. That Queen Calanthe mm -hmm. was like acting like a man. She was belching and- yes. That, had blood and came into the feast and was mm -hmm. wheeled and like, and he was like, so like offended by it or like, this is not, this is not historically accurate. And I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, this is fantasy. It's not historical yes. fiction. Mm -hmm. And exactly. yet you didn't mention that, you know, if we're going historically accurate, there's no such thing as elves and dra golden dragons. Well, even that, did they ever research Queen Elizabeth? Because she was a terrifying human being that absolutely punished people all the time. Mary as well. She was not yeah. a demure Queen Victoria. These were not genteel little people that were in sitting in the back waiting to have their dresses made for them. Yeah. Or if you think about Cocaine Cowboys, which is a documentary mm -hmm. about the big drug wars in mm -hmm. Miami back in the, I think it was the seventies when, and the, yeah. the, the leader of the whole drug operation mm -hmm. was a woman. And she yeah. was like, she was like, had her, her little henchmen and mm -hmm. she was telling them to kill off like all kinds of people children well because yeah to wipe out families whether it was children women yeah. anyone and it's just i, I think be, it's it's interesting i mean i know like even when i was writing birth of the fae to be honest when i was sitting there thinking about my females my characters and i lined you know in my head i was lining them up and i had Queen Aurora, I've got, you know, Desdemona, Lady Serena. I actually went back and looked not just at my comics because God knows I'm a comic geek. Like I said, you're not going to catch me, you know, reading Jane Austen. And I'm, that's just not my literary background. You're going to catch me re reading Chris Claremont and stuff. I actually looked at the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Oh, I love that movie. I, I love, love that. that movie. But oh. that was my first fairy tale movie where i'm watching the lead going she don't need to be rescued oh my this bitch doesn't need 
anybody to rescue her. She went in and she was, she was cute, no doubt about it, but she was smart as a whip. And she went in and was like, okay, I don't need no fairy godmother. First of all, it's being played by Da Vinci. Da Vinci's her fairy godmother. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But she was like, at the end, when the prince finally realizes, I want you, she already rescued her ass from the, from the Baron and was walking out with a sword in her yeah. hand. And yeah. she's like, oh, you're here? Okay, yeah, my, nice. my, my favorite scene in that movie was when they ran into the bandits and the bandits oh, and she everything. And, he, and they'd be like, well, they're like, well, sir, please like, let us go. And they're like, okay, you can take whatever you can carry. And so she, she goes, you it. promise? And yep. she lifts the prince up and carries him away. And, and you know, yeah. I, I remember as a kid, because I, I was in middle school. That was the first school. movie that I saw that I was like, this, and I love me some Disney, but I was like, this is not like the Disney movies. And then when she comes out with the wings for the ball, I went, those are Aurora's wings. The minute I saw him, I went, those yeah. are her wings. And when she said, just breathe, I went, this is how I want my women strong to where they can bond with each other. They're not fighting over a man. There, there's no, but for as pretty as they are, they're smart. They're self-sufficient. And I thought, this is where I'm pulling from. I'm not pulling from the Greek tragedies and the, and the great whatevers. That's great. You know, literature is literature. I got it. But these are my girls. Somebody like this and her portrayal of Danielle. I was like, that's my girl. That's where, because this is what we were lacking in pop culture. All because before that, it was always a damsel in distress who needed a prince. This was the first time I saw a princess, quote unquote, type that didn't need a man. If she wanted the man, she could take him. That was fine. But she was in smart and intelligent. I saw that. And then I went to my comic books. And like I said, my Chris Claremonts, uh, my Gail Simones, you know, Alan Moore. And I was like, I can use this and marry this. And that was, in my eyes, my feminism. You know, your Wonder Woman, your Harley Quinns, all of that. You pull that and then you pull, like I said, that character, that Drew Barrymore portrayal. That's what I felt like I could pull from that, that feminism. It wasn't so much like, I don't need a man. You know, I, I'm not in the kitchen. It was just that sense of self-reliance and strength and not fighting with other women. I that agree. I, felt I actually have an Elvish just breathe tattooed from that movie. I have I my that. friend, um, J.M. Paquette have the same tattoo and she translated into token Elvish yes breathe and we have those tattoos together because that's beautiful i yeah. love that sometimes you just have to take a moment take a breath and i then put that in the book situation just i like, put that in the book yeah from that yeah. movie i had to grab it i have it where um aurora is about to give her first speech as a queen and desdemona says to her she looks out and she sees all the people and she says i know my queen just breathe i've got your back and i pulled that directly from the movie because i thought I wanted another woman to say it to her. I didn't yeah. want her to just say it to herself. I needed another woman to say it to her so she knows there's another feminine energy there. So she, you know, you have somebody because I feel like yeah. that's another thing in fantasy. There's always women fighting for a right. man. It's yeah. very rare that you see the women bonding together. And so that's why also the relationship between Lady Serena and Aurora was so important to me that but I mean, it's based on uh, myself and my, my best friend from uh, high school, Jen. Their talks were based on our talks, you know, that we had in high school, just 
sitting, you know, sitting by the water, just what kind of trouble can we possibly get into? Let's figure it out. You know, in this case, it was, let's create a new dimension. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. But you know, that <laughs> I, is, I love that. And you definitely strike me as a troublemaker, which I appreciate thoroughly. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of troublemakers. Okay. We are coming near the end of this particular podcast. So how do people find you? You can find me on Instagram at birth of the Faye underscore novel, or you can go to birth of and check me out there. Uh, my other Instagram is DM Orsino underscore author, but birth of the Faye underscore novel is the best Instagram to catch us at because there you can see everything that the Faye are up to. And I cosplay sometimes as the characters. I can tell, and I think it's brilliant, and I can't wait to see it, because that, that was the first thing I said to you when we logged into the call, was, you look like a fairy. I love it. Every day. Yes, my crown actually was made by um, a fan who's turned into a friend, uh, Jamie, at Enchanting Earth Co. She actually made the crown based after reading the book. Oh, So wow. I thought that was, yeah, it's actually got the Angelate disc and everything, and people can go and buy it now and be Queen Aurora for themselves. Oh, that, that, okay. We're going to get into a conversation on the next one about cosplaying. Um, Also, when is book two coming out? When is it anticipated? Uh, We're hoping possibly for uh, early next year because we're doing an audio book for book one. So we're launching that um, August 15th-ish is on the audio book. And then we'll probably do uh, book two is all done. So it could be late fall, winter kind of thing or early next year. But it's finished in the can. Send our time to the Instagram so you guys can find out when that's coming. Yes. You have been an amazingly fun guest, Danielle. I really agree. Oh, thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Awesome. Okay, so this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. And I'm Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>